Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. prayer. Father, we come to you now, and we come to you as our teaching Father. And so, Lord, do instruct us as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew 2, 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, now, we started this chapter, chapter 2, and it was kind of, it's always not so easy to read these things about the Lord, about the circumstances of the birth of the Lord, because we found, first of all, that the Lord was born in a very remote nothing of a town called Bethlehem. I know today it's like Bethlehem, oh, a little sleepy town, Bethlehem, you know. Anyway. But Bethlehem at that time was very removed from the mainstream of the country. It certainly was removed from the mainstream of Jerusalem. I mean, the king was not born in the city of the king. And then we saw that the Lord was so hidden that Herod didn't know well, where would he be born. He wasn't expected to. Anyway, he calls the people together and, and ask them, you know, where is he born? And, uh, you know, and then we could see the shock of the people. Well, we don't know, but the, but the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So it just shows us how hidden the Lord was. And then we saw the chief priests and the scribes and the elders that they heard that there's a report that the king was born, the Messiah had come, and none of them thought it was worth it for them to go and and take this five-mile walk to see. So it shows how disowned the Lord was. And this is the message that we get from chapter 2 so far, that the Lord, as far as the Lord Jesus, was so remote, so hidden, so disowned. 
And so it's just a little rough for anybody who wants to come to the Lord Jesus to realize that the true Jesus is remote and he's hidden and he's disowned from the mainstream of life. So to come to the Lord Jesus, we can see that it's to come to a remote, hidden, and disowned Savior. And that's part of the fight that's required for a person to press himself through to the Lord Jesus. And those obstacles are really what turns many away from becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus because they just don't want to follow a remote, hidden, disowned master. In our study so far, we saw how surprising it was when we look at these magi to realize they're Arabs. These were Arab men coming from the east looking for the king of the Jews. And they come with this burning question in verse 2 where they're saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he that's born king of the Jews? And it's interesting, they say, where is he? They're not looking for an it, where is it? They're not looking for a religion. They're looking for a person, for he. And it's always revealing to me when a person claims to be a believer and they say, I found it. You know, <laughs> he is not an it. <laughs> it's all about a person. It's the person of Christ. It's not about a church. It's not about a Bible. It's not about a religion. It's not about a new set of beliefs. The burning question always is, verse 2, where is he? And when he is found, it's, I have found him. Just like Philip said to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 41, John 1, 41, he findeth first his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is interpreted the Christ. And later on it says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This last week, my friend told me about his very wealthy friend wanted to go to heaven so much that he gave $100 million to the Catholic Church. And so, naturally, he has a meeting with the Pope. You know, he's a very big donor, you know. And my friend told me that Later on, after all this, he called him up and he says, you know, I don't want this to become between you and I, but I have to tell you, I found God. Now, he didn't say, I found it, as in a religion, but he said, I found the person of God. So the Magi coming with this question, they're asking the right question, where is he? And they're saying that we, and when they found him, we can imagine that they're saying, we found him. Reminds me of a person who was doing work on my house one time, and he'd never seen a Bible before. Imagine that. He'd never seen a Bible before. And so I showed him one. He said, oh, the Bible. He said, I always wanted to see what it looks like. I'm very interested in the Bible. Then he says, don't get me wrong. I'm not interested in God. I'm just interested in the Bible. (laughs) Well, that's a person who was looking for it (laughs) and not for him. And so the question of the Magi sets it all right when they say, where is he? Now, Herod hears this question, and somehow he didn't share their same feeling of happiness that there'd been the birth of the king of the Jews. And so we read in verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with them. So right away in verse 3, this new person is brought onto the stage. He's called Herod the king. And that's a very significant note, that last part. He's the king. Because this Herod was a king that was jealous over anyone that might threaten his kingship. As a matter of fact, Herod had done everything to establish himself as the king. This is the Herod that had the title of Herod the Great. And what's significant 
about Herod is the fact that Herod was an Edomite. He was from Edom. Edom were the people of Esau. Esau and Edom are the same. So Herod is a descendant of Esau. So Herod is actually the first Edomite or descendant of Esau to rule over the land. The fact that Herod was a descendant of Esau is interesting because that meant later on we're going to find way, way later on. Who knows how long it's going to be. But anyway, it's going to be many years. (laughs) When before the cross, when the Lord is about to go to the cross, he finally, for the first time, stands before Herod. And Herod said he was really happy about that. And what's so interesting, what will be so interesting about that scene is it's going to be a continuation of a scene that was stopped thousands and thousands of years before when it's going to be the continuation of the scene of the conflict between Jacob and Esau, where Jacob, where Jacob is going to be taken by the place of the Lord Jesus, and where Esau, who vowed to kill Jacob is going to be taken by the place of Herod. It's all going to kick him back in gear again. The scene from Genesis 27 41, Genesis 27 41, where Esau said to Jacob, I will slay my brother. I will kill my brother. And so now, so then what's going to happen is that Esau and the person of Herod will kill, will make good on his vow. He will kill Jacob in the person of the Lord Jesus. It will be Esau's final revenge on Jacob. So this is the Herod we're talking about here. Herod was a fanatic, and he wanted to destroy any threat to his kingship. And Herod knew about how the Jews had overthrown the the Greeks through the Maccabees. And so Herod just wanted to establish himself, you know, and that all, by the way, that conflict we celebrate in Hanukkah is all had to do with the temple. The Greeks wanted uh, to offer pigs on the temple, and, and the Maccabee family, led by Judas, Maccabee killed the Greeks and took over the power. So it was all really much, very much tied up in the temple. Well, Herod knew that. So what Herod did is he rebuilt the temple and he had his name put on it so that this was now Herod's temple to kind of make a permanent, make himself permanent, the king of the Jews. So Herod was just, he was a paranoid over any rival uh, king. As a matter of fact, some of the Pharisees, they went and told a female relative of Herod that her, one of her descendants was going to become king and Herod was going to be destroyed. So as a result of that, Herod went in and ordered the murder of many Pharisees. So he's very paranoid and he's very familiar with the Old Testament prophecies about the coming king of the Jews. And so uh, he would have been told that the book of Daniel predicted that when Herod was living, the king of the Jews would come. And so this is kind of the backdrop for this Herod who hears that the king of the Jews has been born. And this is the reason why in verse 3 it says, Herod the king was troubled. Why was he troubled? He was afraid that maybe, maybe all this about God, maybe all this about God's word, maybe all this about God's prophecies are really true. And this was scary for Herod. And so when you see this, this is a picture of lost man. And what he fears the most, lost man fears the most, is that the Bible is true. The Bible will be fulfilled. Last week when I went to meet a new neighbor and I was wearing my shirt that says friendship with God on it, which I always find is a real good filter to draw out who's a friend of God and who's not a friend of God. So I go marching over to the house there and and he looks at me at my shirt and he asks if I was religiously dogmatic. Is the way he put it. <laughs> I said, well, what can I say? You know? And so 
And then he tells me that he believes that man invented God. That's what he said. He believes man invented God. And I said, well, actually, it's the other way around. God invented man. <laughs> it's called creation. So that started off our interesting relationship. And then I met another person this last week, and he was raised a Christian, and he left God. And so I started talking about angels and devils, and he said to me, wait, you don't really believe there's a devil and demons, do you? And I said, no doubt about it. And he said, that really scares me. So he said, that really scares me. Well, what really scares the lost is that the scriptures are really true, and that the scriptures will literally be fulfilled. And that's what scared Herod here. He was scared, and that's the reason we read in verse 3 that Herod was troubled, because he built his life on the foundation that the scriptures will not be fulfilled. And much of Europe today is built on that foundation, that the scriptures will not be fulfilled. In the 80s, when I, I returned to Europe, in the 70s, when I was going to high school, I was not saved, but then I came back saved person in business, and I started to talk to uh, Europeans there from all over Europe about God. And I remember the response. They looked at me and said with an absolute straight face, you need psychological therapy. (laughs) Really and truly, you don't get this in the States, but you get it there. It is a post-Christian culture. It's post. It's after God. And I realized, boy, Germany and, you know, France and and all these places. England, everybody has got so much comfort and wonderful food and everything is all comfortable and stuff like that. And there's no God. No God at all. And you start talking about God and you have to go to a psychiatrist. (laughs) Herod has built his life on the foundation that scriptures will not be fulfilled. And now he's hearing that scriptures are being fulfilled and that the predicted king of the Jews has come. And that troubled him. And the lost fear nothing more than the scriptures are going to be fulfilled. Because if the scriptures are fulfilled, it means that the lost are cast into hell. And that's why the lost fear most that the scriptures are true. And so Herod here, he's afraid of this. And Herod is a ruthless murderer. And there's just no telling what Herod might do now. Because Jerusalem had already seen what he did to these Pharisees. So that's why it says at the end of verse 3, and Jerusalem with him, and all Jerusalem with him. So Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod was troubled, Jerusalem knew that blood was going to flow. And just this picture of Herod troubled over a foreign, over a group of Arabs seeking the Messiah, it's very instructive for us, because it shows how the lost are disturbed when someone else comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because It's just a little harder to say, you know, like uh, this guy said to me, he's talking about his mother. He says, you know, my mother, I love my mother dearly. I I love my mother so much, but she's a believer, but she's not intelligent, he said. (laughs) Just his mother. Anyway, so, but he says, you know, I always assumed that people who are Christians were crazies. So this is disturbing when a lost person sees that someone's coming to the Lord Jesus, and this is what Herod is observing in these magi. And now we see what Herod did when he was troubled over the news that there was a king that had been born. It says in verse 4 that he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. So this is quite a scene. He gathers all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. Can you imagine that? Every calls all the chief priests and scribes, you need to come to Herod immediately. 
I mean, this alone would be very unsettling because they all remembered how Herod called all the Pharisees together that predicted he was going to be destroyed and how they all got killed. So here's all these chief priests and scribe Pharisees, and they're all called to appear before Herod. They must have been scared to think, it's a, okay, next thing we're going to hear is off with your heads. And so Herod calls them all together, and he has questions. It's kind of interesting to see this. Herod calls all these people together, and he's got questions. He asks questions. Well, you know, it's what God said in Malachi 2.7. Malachi 2.7, for the priest's lips shall keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It says they, the priest's lips shall keep knowledge. That's a word shamar, which means to guard or protect. Or, and since we are called in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9 calls us a royal priesthood, that's our function in life. Our function in life is to keep knowledge, to guard knowledge, to guard the Word of God, to make the Bible known. Last week was a person I met, and he told me that, oh, he says, uh, God is always with me. He says, God is always with me. He says he doesn't know anything about the Bible with me. So I asked him, I said, do you mind if I just give you a little cliff notes on what the Bible teaches and what the Bible teaches about how sin has made man far from God and how his sin has made him far from God? and that the way to sin is eternal separation and pain and suffering and hell. But the Bible teaches about how God loves man and he sent his son to die for him, for you, and so forth. This is what it means to keep knowledge, to guard knowledge, which is the job of the priest, and we're a royal priesthood. It means to make known what the Bible teaches. We do that Malachi 2.7 job, Malachi 2.7. We do that job of keeping knowledge when we continually tell people what the Bible teaches the Malachi 2.7 instructs the people to see the priests as the messengers of God. Go to them to understand what God says. And so it's an interesting scene when you see Herod going to them. And they respond in verse 5, they said unto him, they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So it shows when they said that, that the common thinking among the Jewish leaders, the common thinking among the priests and the scribes was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They understood that. They knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. It seems as though later the priests didn't know that, that the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They assumed that he was born in Nazareth, which was wrong, because what they said in John 7.40, John 7.40, was many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. But some said, shall Christ, shall Messiah come out of Galilee? They thought he was born in Nazareth. Hath not the scripture said that Christ, or the Messiah, cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So again, it goes back to how remote and how disowned he was. They didn't even know he was born in Bethlehem. But it says here in Matthew 2, 5, it says, it's in Bethlehem. Now, it's interesting when you think about that, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, especially when you consider that the word Bethlehem means house of bread, house of bread. As a matter of fact, with this verse that they're quoting in Matthew 2, 6 from Malachi, it says, for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. The literal meaning of that Greek word when it says rule is the word feed. That verse is saying, a governor shall come out of the house of bread your government shall come out of Bethlehem. A governor shall come out of the house of bread that will feed Israel, God's people. This is the person, the Lord Jesus is the same person who said about himself in John six fifty one, I am the living bread 
which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I'll give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. So the person who's called the living bread and comes down from heaven is born in the place called the house of bread. The living bread that gave his life for the world is born in a place called the house of bread. And not only is Bethlehem the house of bread that the living bread was born in, but in Bethlehem was a very famous well, a well of water that David actually longed to drink out of. It was famous for its well. It wasn't famous for very many things, but it was famous for its well. And in 2 Samuel 23.15, 2 Samuel 23.15, it says, David longed and said, oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So there was a famous well there by Bethlehem. And so, and it was famous, especially because David said this, and men risked their lives to get the water which he poured out on to the Lord. But this is interesting because it says in John 4.10, John 4.10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. So the one born in the place with the famous well is called living water. And in John 7.37, John 7.37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So the one born in the place with the famous well is the one who said, Come to me and drink. And then in Revelation 22.17, Revelation 22.17, where there's this concert of the bride and the spirit, and they're saying, Come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So the one who's born in the place with the famous well is called the water of life. These magi are very, very interesting. It's interesting to look at the magi and to say to yourself, I mean, you've got to put yourself in the position of being a Jewish person in Jerusalem at that time. And here come this Arab group of men. And they, if you were in that position, you would look at them and say, well, they're Gentiles, They're Gentiles, and if you do look at the Magi as Gentiles, and you see they want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to come to the King of the Jews, and they know to come because of a star, a star which is like a stirring up in their hearts. It's like something that happened. I mean, this picture is of the Gentiles coming to God because God has led them with just a star. I mean, how many times have you heard from the testimonies about Muslim people who have a dream and they see Jesus, and they hear. This is like the Magi. They have a star. They don't have the Scriptures, but the Jews have the Scriptures. The Jews have the Scriptures, and they're able to direct the Gentiles, the Magi, to Bethlehem because the Scriptures say that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting to see the Gentiles without the Scriptures coming only knowing that they need God, in this case being guided by a star, and then to see the Jews with the Scripture able to direct the Gentiles to the Messiah. Now, what's so interesting about that picture is to see the Gentiles wanting to come to God and not having the Scriptures directed by God and telling the Gentiles how to find God and see the Jews not wanting to come to God but having the Scriptures, and they're able to direct them to God, but the Jews don't come. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, Visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.